Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Profit Minds podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Kirch, creator of the Profit Minds Growth System, a unique blend of profit growth, productivity acceleration, and building robust business process for scale. In every episode, I interview entrepreneurs and small business owners from around the world with a unique story to tell. You can find the show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. Hi, everyone. Today, I have an extra special treat. Two fabulous people who help writers get unstuck. My guests today are Kathy Fayok, a business book strategist and writer of the recent book, Writer Crisis Hotline, and Kathy Kirch, adjunct professor of writing at Columbia University and founder of the ADHD Writers Guild. Today, we'll be talking about how to move forward with your writing projects. Welcome to you both. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. So I'll start with you, Kathy Fayok. Um, just tell us really quickly uh, your story of, of how you got to be someone who helps writers uh, move forward with their projects. Well, when I started working as a consultant and speaker, I found that writing was the number one strategy to help me stand out in the crowd, differentiate uh, myself from everybody else who is doing consulting and speaking and uh, really step into thought leadership. So it's been a really important role for me, yet it has never been easy for me. So uh, I had the opportunity um, through uh, just being invited to uh, help some folks with their writing projects. Um, and in doing so, I thought, you know, I could do this for a living. I can become a book coach. So I am so passionate about helping individuals step into their thought leadership and um, up level their business, their platform, their ministry, whatever it might be. So um, I'm very excited about the work that I do. Great. Thank you. And, and Kathy Kirch, tell us a little of your story. Uh, well, I was uh, in my MFA program, working on my MFA in fiction when I started teaching writing as a graduate student uh, and then moved on in an adjunct capacity, still teaching at Columbia, uh, still still where I started and I love the community there. Uh, and then I was diagnosed ADHD and that kind of put a new perspective on a lot of things. So I started to realize both why I wrote the way I did and why certain writers who continued to request working with me over and over again liked working with me so much. Uh, and it, I realized that the, the strategies that I use and the strategies that I teach are specifically, uh, specifically sort of targeting, even though I initially didn't realize that they were really targeting a sort of neurodivergent brain and alternative way of thinking, alternative way of writing. And so from there, just kind of poured everything into that as ADHDers are wont to do, uh, dove really, really deep. Uh, I thought for sure there has to be some research on how ADHD folks write and discovered that 
the research is actually pretty lacking. And so I began doing my own research, uh, running my own empirical studies. And uh, I also launched the ADHD Writers Guild, a specific community dedicated to, to by and for ADHD writers to help uh, neurodivergent brains get unstuck in the writing process. Thank you. So, Kathy Fayak, back to you. Um, talk a little bit about uh, what you see as um, blocks to uh, getting your writing projects going and, and what are the ways in which you really help uh, writers? Most of the writers that I work with are not writers first. They don't have a natural love of writing. They were never drawn to writing. No one ever told them, oh, you're a great writer, for the most part. Um, most of my folks are consultants, coaches who are experts in their field, so they may not feel like they have um, an expertise in writing. So I, I give them the confidence to know that they can do it and get them unstuck. Many times it's, it's several issues that I see over and over and over again, and everybody thinks they're totally unique. But um, most of the writers I work with face um, the fear of being exposed. So there is a certain fear in writing. So helping folks overcome that. There is this notion that I'm super busy. Most all of my clients are su super busy, professionals, successful professionals who don't really have time to write. So we figure out how to create the time um, uh, opportunity and help them see that it is possible to write even when you only have short chunks of time. And then just the confidence to know how you um, stare down a blank page and how you get away from that that whole um, uh, stigma of looking at this, this daunting blank page and thinking, how do I even begin? So helping people create that strategy plan. And, and Kathy, uh, Kirch, talk a little bit about uh, the research that you've done into, into uh, the discovery process around ADHD and how to handle that and how to become a more, uh, I don't know, accomplished writer or, or effective writer or, again, getting unstuck yeah. <laughs> for, for those neurodivergent folk. So the interesting thing about uh, writing research kind of up to this point is that it's really focused on, well, so there, there's, there's a kind of unstated assumption in writing studies research. And that unstated assumption is that the neurotypical brain is the default, uh, that the sort of research that has been done on writers and writing process generally sort of assumes a neurotypical experience. Uh, but we also know that a significant portion of writers uh, and, you know, in the context of my work at Columbia, college students, significant portion are neurodivergent. Uh, and even, even more than that, uh, many are neurodivergent and don't even know it uh, and have been un you, undiagnosed. You know what, do you know anyone like that? Uh, Gee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, I, and I, and it, you know, worth, worth, worth also noting that those most affected by underdiagnosis tend to be, um, tend to be already in marginalized uh, communities and identities. Uh, writers of color, 
women uh, and non-binary folks um, and those socialized as female, uh, as well as lower income folks from lower income families tend to be underdiagnosed and go and um, and and tend to not even have that uh, not necessarily not even know that they are neurodivergent, but also not even getting that support in school. Uh, and so part of my part of the goals of my research is not just to understand the neurodivergent brain and how the neurodivergent writer works, uh, but to also shift the narrative and shift the narrative in a couple of ways, shifting it one to uh, in to view neurodivergence not as deficit but as difference, um, in the same way that a, a a car with an automatic transmission and a car with a manual transmission both get you where you want to go. Uh, but if you try to drive a manual transmission car like you would an automatic transmission, you're probably going to stall out. Uh, and so the other, the other sort of goal that I have is that by understanding the the neural networks and the neural circuitry at work in the neurodivergent brain, we can better help all writers, writers of all neurotypes, because everybody has a brain um, and no one's brain is running at 100%, 100% of the time. And so the the goal being to really sort of write with the brain we have now, uh, not an imagined uh, ideal of a brain that we assume as a default. My favorite analogy to this would be what we have in physics is consider the spherical horse. Right. <laughs> That, that, you know, you, you make some assumption about what is typical and you build all your models around that. And, and, you know, it doesn't actually fit anyone right. perfectly. Right. Um, but on the other hand, you have to start someplace. You do. And I think that the, um, and I, and I think that, you know, the research is now to a point where they've, we've, we've looked at the spherical horse <laughs> Um, and there are still there's still some gaps that we haven't quite figured out. And so I think that those can be, uh, you know, we can look at the non-spherical horses and, and and understand how those brains work. And in terms of the things that uh, I, I see sort of uh, folks of all neurotypes getting stuck, um, there's a lot around executive dysfunction and the ability to sort of control where our attention goes and uh, our ability to sort of start and switch tasks, as well as challenges around um, managing working memory. Everybody has a working memory. Everybody's working memory has limited capacity. Some of our working memories have more limited capacity than others. And in fact, a lot of strategies that any writer uses uh, oftentimes are is centered around managing the burdens that writing plays on. You know, that 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 sort of brings me back to what Kathy Fiak, what you said about, um, you know, the, the staring at the blank page. And, um, you know, so so I'd love to have, you know, I'd love to sort of start a conversation here between you about, mm -hmm. you know, how do you how do you talk to people who are are stuck either either because they're overwhelmed with the project or, or they're overwhelmed with other thoughts or, you know, how, how, how do we, you know, how do we help them? Mm -hmm. One of the things I know I, I really work with on all my clients is we always start with a strategy 
session. And in the strategy session, we map out the strategic elements of the book, especially as it aligns with their business or their ministry or platform. So we talk about the purpose of the book and how it's going to be used. Uh, we define the thesis statement and you wouldn't believe how hard that is sometimes to get people to articulate in a sentence or two what their book is about, um, who their targeted reader is, and then what kind of structural outline. Because what I've found is that if people don't have that as a starting point, they can be all over the place because they're thinking, what do I know on this topic? Which um, a lot of times is quite a lot of information. So how do you sort through that? Well, it's not about all that you know, and it's really focusing on what your reader needs. What is the problem that you're trying to solve for that reader? And how do you, how can you craft pieces of advice that would be helpful for that reader? But Kathy, I'm curious to know what, uh, what you have to say around that. Yeah. The, um, can I, what I was so intrigued by what you were saying about the, um, sort of setting things up at the beginning of the process oh, mm -hmm. that I've forgotten what the initial question was. ADHD <laughs> at work. Um, what was the initial question? So how do we get unstuck? You know, how do we yeah, get people right. staring at that blank page and, uh, just, well, I think that, um, I'm I'm so sorry. I think my feed is cutting out a little bit. So I'm I'm sorry if I jumped in in the middle. Um, but the uh, I guess the the sort of nature of the stuckness I think is is one of those questions uh, that can be useful to answer in terms of figuring out how to get unstuck. Because I think there's there are a lot of times we think of just one kind of writer's block, right? The writer isn't writing, um, but the sort of sources of those blocks can be different. And so the remedies for those blocks can shift as well. And so I think in terms of kind of getting unstuck, sort of starting by interrogating the stuckness, figuring out what exactly is it that is getting me stuck? Is it because I don't know what to do moving forward? Uh, or is it because I know what to do, but for some reason I'm not able to sort of press the gas and go, right? If we use that sort of car analogy, I'm sitting in a manual transmission and I'm pressing the gas and it's not moving forward, you know, wh what the heck do I do? And so might I think- be a, Might be in neutral. Yeah. Right, it's, it's, you're in neutral, you're going uphill, what's going on here? The um, And so I think the, uh, yeah, so I, I think sort of starting by, interrogating, you know, what is the thing that, why am I stuck? And then sort of building strategies and pulling tools from the toolbox around that. Mm -hmm. I think the, uh, a huge source of stuckness that uh, I mentioned previously is that sort of the limitations of working memory, right? The writing is, and the research actually shows us this, writing is cognitively the most difficult activity that the adult brain engages in just the it's the it's the most cognitively demanding um it's the most sort of difficult for our brain and part of that is the burden that it places on working memory that if we're, in order to write we have to hold what we want to say how we want to say it and how a reader might interpret it all at the same time uh and at and we're also you know again sort of spherical horse no one is all no one's coming to the writing page 
with just those things. We have a million other things going on that are taking our our attention and kind of demanding space in our working memory. And so one of the things that I know helps me sort of clear out some of the excess is doing a bit of a brain dump before I start writing and just sort of brain dumping on the page, usually writing longhand, just mm -hmm. getting everything else out. Um, all of the things that are kind of swimming around in my head, writing, just setting a timer for five minutes or writing out like a full page or however, you know, I want to sort of set parameters on that. So of course that could go forever, but setting, setting a timer or some sort of constriction of like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to dump everything that is in my brain. And usually it's like, okay, I have this appointment later. Or, oh, I need to go to run this errand or, oh, this person's waiting for a reply from me or, you know, all of the other sort of things of the, the things that I have to do. And sometimes it's ideas around the project and sometimes it's completely separate things and issues but I find that that's sort of that you know that's just one way that I find at least like sitting down at the beginning of a writing session when I'm feeling like okay I need to I'm like ready to go and I'm I have the page open and sometimes even getting to that point is hard but <laughs> the page is open and I'm looking at it and there's just so much stuff going on that just kind of emptying the brain a little bit creating some space in that working memory um, and then moving forward in the writing process in a way that allows you to sort of focus on one thing at a time right so we're not mm -hmm. trying to make ourselves do um we're not trying to make ourselves edit at the same time that we're structuring right wow. which is you know uh kathy kathy f uh, what what you were saying about sort of creating that structure beforehand what that sort of allows your writers to do is then uh is able to they're able to sort of think about what the structure is separately from the actual generation of the text and so then that sort of what that does is sort of separate those processes so mm -hmm. that the brain doesn't have to be thinking about structure while it's generating and it doesn't have to be generating wow. while it's thinking about structure and and i think that that goes for writers whether you outline before or whether you sort of write more stream of consciousness and then sort of move things into place um that the sort of being able to kind of separate those processes and allow the brain to uh have the space in the working memory to just be doing one thing uh is is something that's really that's really useful in terms of reducing that burden on working memory mm -hmm. yeah. uh, yeah. Go ahead, Kathy. I was just going to say one of the things I do too to get people, um, you know, writing a book is overwhelming. It's a huge, huge, huge task. And um, so dividing it into little chunks is so helpful. So you're not having to think about the whole thing. So getting the structure right is one thing. And, um, and then the other thing is to create a list of questions that you want to answer and then answering one question at a time. So a lot of times what I'll do with my authors is we'll, we'll map out all the questions that you'll, the reader will want to have answered by the end of the book, organize the, that list of questions. And then just as you write, you're answering a question, which is easier than writing a book. So getting very focused about what the task is, very, very focused. And the timer is incredibly important as well. Um, so, so Kathy, uh, Kathy Fyock, when I was listening to, to Kathy Kirch 
um, talk about, you know, emptying the brain. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe some of your entrepreneurs um, and, and your consultants who are overwhelmed with how much they have to do might benefit from writing down all of that stuff that they have that they're not going to worry about while they're writing. Because even for, I'll, I'll say, uh, neurotypical folk, I don't know very many of them, but um, <laughs> that, that sort of I'm overwhelmed with all that I have to do can be a huge burden. And I would think that an exercise like like uh, Kathy suggested with writing it all down. Absolutely. List making is a wonderful strategy for allowing the and I'm not a brain science person, but uh, but unloading that prefrontal cortex with all of those. I got to do this. I got to do that. Putting it on a list and then working on a task at hand that allows you to really free up that space and get singularly focused. So I, I love that. I'm a list maker myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I also love a good list and I also uh, I love a good pen for a good list. That's one of the things that gives me a lot of dopamine is being able to use my extensive colorful pen collection to write those lists. And I think the, you know, the, what that kind of does for me is it gives me that sort of boost of dopamine in the beginning. Uh, I think something that's sort of interesting about the, 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 some of the challenges here around, you know, like some of the things that we're saying are kind of like do one thing at a time, which I'm sure for anyone, an ADHD listener would be like, oh yeah, great. Like I'll just, that all my problems are solved. Um, <laughs> and so I want to, I want to clarify that. I think the, uh, you know, w what we're not saying, or at least what, what I'm not saying is that um, you need to have a singular focus and be really rigid about what you're, what you're, um, doing at any given point. I know for me, if I'm too rigid with myself, my sort of inner teenager comes out and is like, well, now I'm gonna not going to do that. Um, and so, uh, I, so I think having that kind of flexibility is important. I think that what's, what's important to note here is that, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that, okay, you have to you have to be really, really strict with yourself and you're only doing one thing at a time. And you, you know, you have to have that singular focus and don't get distracted and all of those things. But rather to uh, you know, that you're setting things up so that your brain, that you the working memory is sort of only focused on one particular task. And that doesn't necessarily mean don't get distracted because distractions are going to happen. They're going to happen for anyone. Uh, but one of the things that we can do when when those distractions come up, for example, is to have a place to put them. Right. So one of the things that I like to do when I'm writing is I have a distraction pad, which is a piece of paper that's right next to me so that when I'm working on something and something else pops up, I can write it down so that my working memory doesn't need to worry about holding on to it. Um, and then I can kind of keep going. Uh, uh, similarly, that we can, you know, even sort of even in the, with the goal of sort of allowing our brains to do one thing at a time that but that thing can still switch rapidly. We can still sort of switch modes if we decide to. Uh, but I think so. So for anybody who's listening and going like, well, I, I don't have a singular focus and I can't focus on one thing for a long time, except sometimes when I'm in deep and hyper focus and then like I forget to go to the bathroom. But the, you know, the, the, the sort of um, but sort of thinking about 
not necessarily the sort of rigidity of trying to get ourselves to focus on one thing, but the sort of flexibility that we can move with our brain and let our brain kind of go where it needs to while also being uh, cognizant of, you know, not trying to make it do something else. Because I think the the sort of if we're if we're trying to force ourselves to do one thing and then we have all of these other things that are kind of popping up for us, then that's taking up mental space and working memory capacity as well. So, you know, at the same time that we're, you know, we want to make sure we're allowing our brains to just do one thing at a time, we're not also not forcing our brains to write in a certain way, right? Because the more we try to force our brains to do something a certain way, the more that those other possibilities and that sort of flexibility, the desire for flexibility is kind of pulling on our attention and on our working memory as well. And so having that flexibility is, is you know, just as useful and being able to attend to where our brain kind of wants to go and allowing ourselves to kind of move with that rather than fighting against it uh, is also really important for the writing process. So, so Kathy Fayak, what, what, how, how do you, how do you see that helping your entrepreneurs and, and consultants? Well, it does a lot. And, and I love what Kathy said about um, not, not being overly rigid. Um, it's, it's important to, to sort of say, I'm going to work on one thing uh, because we can't really work on two things at one time. But what I also say to my authors is once you've mapped out your whole book, you've created the structure and a great outline, then give yourself to permission to move around within that space. So um, what I typically tell my authors is don't start with chapter one. Uh, that's typically one of the hardest chapters to write. So go ahead and write where your energy is leading you. And if your energy wanes uh, during chapter three, well then go to chapter five or skip around always working toward your outline and in your outline. So having that overall structure that you want to keep to, but giving yourself the flexibility to go where, oh, that would be fun, or I've got a really great uh, inspirational idea. So I, I love what uh, what she said, and, and I totally agree that giving yourself permission to work within a framework is great strategy. I love that. I think that the sort of permission to move around is in and sort of work non-linearly is so important for any brain. I think a lot of times we have this picture of writers that they sit down and they start with chapter one and then they keep typing until they hit the end. And <laughs> no one no one writes like that. In fact, there's there has been research on sort of writing processes. And what they found is that no one, no one writes that way. No one just sits down and like, okay, I'm going to pre-write and then I'm going to outline. And then my outline's not going to change. And then I'm going to start with the beginning and then I'm going to go to the end. And then I'm going to revise everything once and then I'm going to proofread. And then it's going to be like, no one works in that sort of linear fashion. Wow. <laughs> and so I know for me, I, I, in any given project, I have so many different sites of construction that are sort of in various stages of completion. Uh, and I know that you know, some writers might prefer to work slightly more linearly than, than I do, uh, but I think the sort of giving ourselves permission to move around does so much, um, both in terms of allowing ourselves to enjoy the writing process, uh, but also in terms of, you know, again, that sort of working memory, it's easiest, you know, 
if we're if we're drawing more on long-term memory, then we're not relying as much on short-term memory. So the sort of adage of write what you know uh, can kind of be applied here. That if you if there's a spot that you feel particularly inspired to write or excited to write, or that you feel like I kind of know what the shape of this is, and I kind of I have a pretty clear picture of what it is, it's a great place to begin because you don't have to rely quite as much on your short-term memory, on your working memory. Uh, the other thing that that does is by sort of giving ourselves permission to write in the places that we enjoy or that we want to, or kind of, you know, sort of listening to ourselves and 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 going where, going where the writing feels easiest, is we're also sort of making it easier for our executive functions to kind of start the writing process, right? So it's really really hard to get started on a process that or, or a task that we don't want to do. Uh, and part of that is that if our brain perceives a task as painful, if and in this case, if our brain perceives a particular writing task as painful, then it wants to protect us. And it can feel as right starting with something that we really don't want to be writing or that we really don't want to be doing can feel as impossible as getting our hand to touch a hot stove. Right. It's that same sort of protective mechanism at work that where our brain's like, that thing's going to that's going to suck. That's going to be really painful. I'm not going to let you do that. Yeah. I'm going to protect you from that. Uh, and so giving ourselves permission to start in the places that's easiest, uh, as well as sort of being able to find some things, find the things that we enjoy, even when we do get to the parts that are harder uh, and sort of trying to find the ways to make those processes and tasks less painful um, can give our brain that sort of, it's okay, I'm gonna be all right. I like, thank you for trying to protect me, but I'm good and I'm gonna get started now. Yeah, I also love the jumping around idea in, in terms of uh, leveraging the subconscious because you know mm -hmm. our our subconscious brain. We we try to we we expect again. This is part of the the whole working memory and, and the prefrontal cortex and 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 understanding how the brain works. But recognizing that the computing capacity of the subconscious just dwarfs the the capacity of the conscious brain. And so if your subconscious is continuing to work on some other part of the um, uh, some other part of the book, some other part of the writing project. Um, and, and, and you say, Oh, now I know what I want to say there. And you just sort of go Bleh, right out. It comes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, fact, so I love, I, go ahead. I was just going to say one, one of the things I suggest to my authors is uh, as they're wrapping up a writing session to identify what they're going to do next. So identifying the outline or it doesn't even have to be a sequential piece, but just identify what you're going to write next and then sleep on that, but write it down, write it down. I'm going to work on this next. So when you come back to writing, not only have uh, you had that time to process it, but you know where you're going to pick up and you're not just staring at the blank page. That's great. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I love those sort of work shutdown rituals, the, the way that we're kind of like leave, we're leaving breadcrumbs for our future yes. selves, right? <laughs> that it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, 
I wouldn't expect if I was collaborating with someone, I wouldn't expect them to read my mind. So like, why do we expect ourselves to read the minds of our past selves, right? How can we sort of treat ourselves with the same kind of respect that we would treat our collaborators? Um, and, you know, even being that being communicative and even overly communicative with our future selves. So we know how to get into the project when we come back. So that's that's great. Uh, Kathy Fayak, just really quickly, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you if, if they want to reach out? Oh, they can visit my website or just send me an email. It's Kathy at kathyfayok.com. Great. And Kathy Kirch, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on the internet. Uh, uh, my Instagram and probably just about every other handle is at mywritinghero. Uh, you can also uh, visit uh, my website, mywritinghero.com. Uh, or send me an email, C-Y-K-I-R-C-H at MyWritingHero.com. Great. And that concludes our show. Thanks to my guests, Kathy Fayok and Kathy Kirch. I hope you've learned something about how to get unstuck and move forward with your writing projects. I know I did. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Profit Minds podcast. This is your host, Dr. Stephen Kirch please visit www.profitminds.net for other episodes or to contact me. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others. Thanks for listening. Have a grateful day.